Welcome to the Music City Scene, a podcast for independent musicians and independent listeners. Coming to you from the Music City of Nashville, Tennessee, we will do interviews with independent musicians, focusing on and telling the story behind their music, their journey, and where you can hear and see them. In addition, we'll provide tips and places to go and things to do when you are in the Music City. Welcome to this episode of the Music City Scene, and man, I gotta thank Ronnie Crutcher from the Hillbilly Casino again for that smoking hot intro. It's a scorcher out there from his Crutcher CD. Thank you, Ronnie. This is Tony Jenkins coming to you from the Music City Scene Germantown or G-Town Studio. Today, we had Craig Morrison in the studio for an interview, uh, an interview that I'm going to call He's Been Everywhere, Man. He has been everywhere, but I'm going to come back to that here in a second. Uh, Where we're at right now, the state of affairs around the world is COVID still out there. Uh, It seems like we go from phase two to phase three. Now we're back. I guess we're at phase two again. I don't know. Things are interesting around here and When it comes to coming into and out of the Music City, there's not a whole lot of that going on right now. And I do know that we do have tourism going. We have people coming in and out. But, you know, things just aren't open and as vibrant as they were prior to to the COVID virus. So hopefully we'll get uh, beyond that. And uh, at some point within hopefully this year, things will open back up and continue to update this as I do come back and uh, have more episodes. Let me introduce Craig Morrison to you. Craig Morrison is originally from Australia. I think you'll be able to hear that from his accent. He grew up in Sydney. He is from a rather famous... Australian family, as his father was known as Lucky Star, and was the first person to record I've Been Everywhere, Man. You know, the old Johnny Cash song that everyone knows in the United States. Craig moved here in 2011 to continue to pursue the, the music career that he had in Australia. We do talk about COVID. There's some interesting things there where he actually went back to Australia here in March to play a sold-out venue that he had to cancel, refund every ticket, and come back to the United States before they shut the borders. So very interesting. But you know, one of the things before I get into this, uh, Craig was in a band called Demot, probably late '80s, early '90s. Uh, they signed with the ACDC band's label. Um, I don't have this Albert Albert's Records. I think there's a documentary on it, but but check this out. Listen to this. I'm not going to put this in the podcast, but this is Demont with the single "I Want Your Body." This is interesting. You can find this on YouTube. I'll put this in the show notes. But this is like uh, the old '80s hair bands is what we're talking about here. And I found this, and I thought this is awesome. Just a small excerpt. I think that's Craig right there. Oh, you gotta love this. This reminds me of Tesla. Um, They've got the uh, Tesla's ball in the back. Oh, yeah. Go to YouTube, look up DeMont. 
All right. D-E-M-O-N-T. I want your body single. Pretty awesome. At any rate, I am going to just get into the interview here. A lot of things come out of this. Craig has an amazing story in terms of how he grew up. His father in the entertainment business and basically was in it from the time he was a child, a teenager, acting, performing, and eventually entertaining as far as singing. He's, he's got a great story here. So without further ado, here is Craig Morrison, the musician in Nashville that used to be in the band Demon. the night and I'm sitting in this room cut the silence with the knife except the clock ticking boom 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 I wonder what she's doing is she laying there alone my heart is beating harder as I'm staring at this phone boom 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 what I don't know, you don't know a lot about my background, I don't think, but you know, my, I, I come from a, a, a line of entertainers. My father's a very famous entertainer in Australia. I saw that. I saw that uh, he recorded uh, Everywhere Man. I've been everywhere, yeah. Yeah. So, um, which to my dad's disgust, I never learned the song. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, he was uh, he was one of the, he was the first Australian entertainer to go to Vietnam. He did actually the first entertainer full stop to go to Vietnam. Paid for his own ticket, flew Pan Am. He did three tours to Vietnam to entertain the troops. Um, uh, he also uh, used to spend probably three to four months of the year here in America in Vegas, uh, hanging on uh, in uh, the Nevada Strip. There, he used to do a bunch of. Bunch of shows there. I mean, I know the podcast is meant to be about me, but I mean, shit, man. He uh, yeah, he did some amazing stuff there. He's hanging out with Billy Eckstein and Johnny Cash and all those people, you know. And um, and back then, when you went when you went to Vegas, it, I don't know about now, but back then it was the mafia. Like he said, you know, when he flew into Vegas the first time and went to the big casino, it was uh, the Flamingo, I think it's where. Yeah. It um, they took him straight to meet like the boss, and he said it was like meeting the Godfather. You know? <laughs> he, he said you can you know meet these women, hang out with these women, don't touch these women. They're my women. Right, right. You might end up in uh, a, ba- a a hole somewhere. Yeah, keep keep your nose clean and 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 you'll have a great time. Uh, the first first show my dad did when he was in Vegas, the the flamingo. I oh, know the the mafia guy. Came up on stage, pulled out a switchblade knife, cut the microphone cord and gave him the microphone. He's still got it in a drawer at home. <laughs> and that's one of those old, you know, SM microphones, you know, the ones that look like a car grill. Yeah. Because they were the state-of-the-art microphone back there. Yeah. Like a, were they condenser mics? 
like the plug-in, or would they did they just run off the? Because uh, this is like no, they were just a normal microphone back. At, you know, back then, uh, I don't know what they were at, at fifty-seven or like that. They probably didn't have those. Hey, I said they probably didn't have the condenser mic yet. Then I don't know. Oh, I don't think they may have. I mean, there's plenty of bluegrass going around back then, but they definitely. This one was just a plug-in microphone. It looks like a car grill on the front. It's a sure microphone. And it's still to this day, it's still got the bit of cord hanging out the bottom of it where the guy cut it with a knife and gave it to him saying, you know, congratulations, you brought the house down. Yeah. <laughs> He's a memento. Nice. Yeah. What, uh, so his, perf- what years did he perform? What years? Yeah. So you said like fif- late fifties into the seventies or what was his time frame in well, terms I was, of, I was, I was born after he had I've Been Everywhere as a hit. So yep. I guess about 19, early 1960s, 62, 63. Yeah. Um, would have been when I've Been Everywhere came out. Um, I've never really put like a, a calendar over the uh, chronological calendar over, uh, over any of that. I know that. Uh, um, he was already famous when I was born. I thought everybody's right. dad was a singer. That's <laughs> so, you, so you grew up in it. Now, all of a sudden, you're like, hey, this is just normal. It was everyday life for my dad to be rehearsing a band in our living room at home. Because back then, they didn't have rehearsal studios or anything. So they always come around. To our, we had a huge house. You know, we lived in a pretty nice area, big house, all that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, the whole band used to turn up and sit up in our living room and fly away. Nice. Good fun. Yeah. And, and his his name was his, his performing name was Lucky Star. Yeah, it's T A W R. Okay. And uh, so that what is that what fueled you to say, hey, I want to get into music? And I guess let me back up a little bit more. Where did yeah. you where where did you grow up in Australia? I grew up. Uh, I was born in St Leonard's, which if you looked out of my mum's hospital window, you could see the the Harbour Bridge. Okay. Actually, it wouldn't have been the Opera House. But um, the Harbour Bridge. Um, so I was probably three, four minutes from downtown Sydney. It's where I was born. I grew up in a, in a suburban area called Northbridge, uh, which was about 15 minutes from the centre of Sydney, maybe 20. Um, I don't know these days. Traffic's totally changed. I haven't been back there for 10 years. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, and then the latter part of my life, my teens, I, I, I grew up on a, on, a, on my dad's farm, so I spent a lot of time out there. We had a really nice property up north. And when when did you start getting into and saying, "Hey, I I have this thing. I want to get into the music business." Well, the crazy thing is, is uh, from I mean, all when you grow up in it, you sort of figure that you're meant to do it. Um, but from when I was hopeless at school, my grades were shocking. And my dad was always about, you improve your grades and then I'll let you go and do something. And a good friend of his, Greg Anderson, who later went on to work for Dolly Parton and was part of her big stampede show in Vegas and all that, he had a studio, an agency for grooming kids, you know, like dance troops and all that sort of thing. And uh, from about 11 or 12 years old, I wanted to be a... um, I wanted to be a dancer more than anything else. Mm -hmm. That's always part of it. Um, but once I, uh, once my dad realized my grades weren't going to improve, he had me join that. So from about 
12 or 13 years old was when I was seriously involved in 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 an industry in the entertainment industry. I always I never called myself a singer or a dancer or an actor. I was always I'm just an entertainer. Right. And that that's sort of how I I grew up like that. Um, I did that for many years, man. Um, come all the school holidays, all all my friends were going camping and doing all this sort of stuff. Uh, I was. Um, getting all my gear together and going to shopping centres and doing these, you know, shopping centres for the school holidays back then. They used to have these, like, kid dance troops singing and everything. That's what I do every school holidays. Yeah. At Westfields, all the Westfield shopping centres across across New South Wales, if not Victoria and Queensland as well, we'd go and do that. But I was more, I didn't really, uh, I was born with two left feet. <laughs> so uh, I, I sang mainly because, uh, you know, the dancing, the dancing didn't quite work out. Well, it's okay. You know, I can bust a move these days, buddy. But, mm-hmm. you know, like, uh, <laughs> I've seen you on some some videos busting some moves. More, more about the singing, and I, they were more interested about having me as a singer because yeah. you know it's it's kind of weird, but you sort of grow, grow up in the shadow of you know. Um, I was always Lucky Star's son. Yeah, yeah. Um, which was great for them for publicity wise and everything else. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, I'm, you know, I was more the front person, you know. I was singing Rhinestone Cowboy, doing all the grease hits and all that sort of stuff, you know, while I had a whole bunch of really good-looking young girls dance around behind me. Yeah. So, yeah, it was fun. Well, and I also see that you did uh, com- commercials and, and uh, popular soap opera, what, Sons and Daughters, it says. So tell me about that. Well, um, Sons and Daughters was um, – well, to begin with, with this, this it was called Keen Kids, K-E-A-N-E, Keen Kids was the group. Um, and they did everything. They were a talent agency. So what happened was I started auditioning for things. And from a young age, from about 14 or 15, I'd only been with them for a while, I got a role in a, in a program in Australia. It was, it was shot on Smokey Dawson's Ranch. It was called Secret Valley. I did that for a year. Yeah. So, from that age onwards, I pretty much never went back to school. I had on-set tutoring and all that sort of stuff that comes with that that sort of yep. upbringing. So I did uh, Secret Valley and then I went on to uh, do Sons and Daughters, which was a huge pro. It's like a Days of Our Lives in America is what Sons and Daughters was to Australia. Okay, yeah. I did that for, for a year. I was in a country practice, a bunch of other Australian, you know, big soapies. Um, and then, uh, I got a, a, a movie that I was in called Mull, M-U-L-L, with a, a, a brilliant actress. Her name was Nadine Gardner and Bill Hunter and a number of amazing actors were in that. That was my acting, a, a big break for me. It was great. I spent uh, two months in Melbourne, which is in Victoria, um, uh, doing this movie and, um, one of the best experiences of my life. I was uh, 18, just turned 18 at that point. Uh, actually, no, I tell a lie. I was uh, Sons and Daughters, I was 18. By the time I was doing this movie, I was 21 mm-hmm. because I actually celebrated my 21st birthday in Melbourne while I was doing this movie. And my dad and my sister drove down from Sydney or flew down or whatever. And, um, yeah, so I did that movie. And... To my my agents discussed and everybody else's because by this point I was making pretty good money. 
man, I was 18 years old back when, and I was making, you know, almost $2,000 a week, mm-hmm. you know, which is just back then is insane. Right? Yeah, but, but, yeah, do the uh, math. You back up there and that's, <laughs> that's big time. So I, um, but I, uh, I gave it up. When I was doing the movie for the movie Mull, I was writing songs, just started uh, with, a, with a friend that I met at a music store in Gosford, which is where I was staying at the time, yeah. which is Central Coast. And, um, yeah, we just uh, we, we started writing songs. And anyway, I pitched one of the songs to the movie makers, and they ended up using one of those songs as part of the soundtrack for the movie. So my dad realized that I wanted to move on to singing. So we took this tape, this, the song that I wrote with Terry was his name, Terry Mandra. And we, uh, we recorded it in Melbourne with a bunch of session musicians. It sounded great. Um, it's called Sometimes Love Ain't Enough. And then I took, my dad got me a meeting with Ted Albert. It's going to go on a bit, man. I'm telling you. Well, that's, so this, Ted, Ted I'm Albert, listening. This is good. Ted Albert owned Albert Records. Albert's Records was the label for ACDC. Mm-hmm. So, and they were originally based on King Street in Sydney. Anyway. Is, it, are, and is this around the 1980s? I mean, is it, give me a time yeah, frame. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 1980, 1980 something. I can't even tell you what the year was. Not because I don't want to, but I just can't remember. But it was definitely in the 80s. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Thunderstruck was not far, was not made yet, but it was coming up in about 12 to 18 months after this meeting. Sure. Um, so anyway, I, I got a meeting with Ted Albert. I took this tape in, which was Session Players, but a song that I wrote with Terry, played it to Ted Albert and Peter Dawkins, who's a huge producer, a big My Sex Australian Crawl, big Australian acts. He actually only recently passed. Um, and I said, well, this is my band. And in the, so I basically lied. Yeah. And uh, well, you got to do what you got to do when you're, when you're yeah. in that spot. Absolutely. In for a penny. So we just, um, from there, they said, have you got any other songs? Which we didn't. We only had the one song that we'd written at that time. And I said, oh, yeah, we've got a ton of them. So they said, we'll <laughs> yeah. come back in three weeks. Yeah. So I quickly ran away and back up the Central Coast. And so many other things have gone on in my life at this point. This is just one of those little rows, you know. But um, ran back up the Central Coast and sat down with Terry. And at that time I had a cover band called Shy Boy and the keyboard player's name was Peter James, great piano player. And we sat down and we wrote about a dozen songs. And then we came down and we uh, demoed them at Albert's and, and we got a recording deal. So we were signed to ACDC's label. Distributed back then through CBS, which is now Sony. Um, and that was the beginning of um, a, an insane 12 to 18 months, I guess it would have been. Was how long? Mm-hmm. The, band, the band was called DeMont. Um, the wildest 18 months of my life. You know, we were opening for Motley Crue and Skid Row and doing our own touring. We did. 370 odd shows in 12 months so you can imagine you know doing doubles and touring and we toured with every other major artist in in australia we were the the next big thing rock wise yeah so the, and yeah. this and all these all your tour at this point is australia with these guys or were you going yeah other that was places? All, australia. all australia yeah 
Um, if uh, in, a rock uh, international rock band came, you know, uh, to Australia, there was only two or three bands that would open. You know, that would be, I don't know, put up and sure. said, you know, because well, we were booked through through Frontier Touring, and Frontier Touring bought these big rock bands to Australia. So basically, it was uh, Roxas, Choir Boys, or Demont would be one of the three bands. So we ended up uh, we got in. Just after Guns N' Roses had done their Sweet Child of Mine tour, mm-hmm. I actually went to that with our manager who worked for Frontier. And, um, yeah, it was after that. Then we picked up the, the Motley, Crue, uh, Motley Crue National Tour and then we did uh, Skid Row nationally and um, and our album was out. And it, we did really well. It was, we had some great tracks. You just got to Google, ask Alexa to play a, a, a DeMont song. Yeah, have a listen. How do you spell that? Demont, D E M O N T. All right, I'm going to write it down. Yeah, I got to find a pen here. I uh, I moved my office. I moved my office around. So this is this is normally my office, but since my oh. wife and I are both working from home, um, mm-hmm. I've been relegated to the garage. Nice. And, uh, I have a I have an office in the garage, but I don't I can't put the studio out there because it you know there's too much echo. Yeah, I have a studio, a little home studio here, which I could have gone out to, but the Wi-Fi is not as good as it is in the house. Um, so I know it's more like for writing and recording demos and stuff. So, so so that was your your first big break on the music side, and it sounds like you were, I think, like anything, sometimes you gotta. You got to act. What is it? What's the thing I'm trying to say here? You've got to um, play that role that you know they expect you to be, and you may not be that yet. You got to fake it till you make it, type of thing. That's how it started. Not, I'm not saying that in negative in light, but well, you know, yeah. Sometimes you got to bullshit the bullshitters, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, it, it worked for us. I mean, I don't know if I had a, said that, that was a session band, but this is a song, um, how that would have gone. But, you know, it's just that that one little moment in time where your mouth opens up and you say that and it puts you in that place. I could have said something else that would have put me in a totally different place. I That's mean, a good point. Yeah. So um, I'm super happy for the decision that I made at that point. There's a lot of ups and downs, you know. Yeah, happened but you know, with the band, I mean, the band only lasted, like I said, 12, 18 months, something like that. Um, then you know, man, back then it was still, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Yeah, it was insane. Um, craziest time of my life these days. Now, um, if you're not straight, sober, and 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 a hundred percent on top of the ball, then then I don't, I really don't like your chances. Yeah, a lot of them put themselves across as being kind of out there and you know wacky at times, but uh, the industry is now is just so uh, so hard, and you know it was hard before Corona, you know. Yeah, I mean, and and now <laughs> because because of the digital realm and 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 Spotify and all of this crap, it's like. It's hard for anybody to make money. Record labels have gone from being these twenty-story ivory towers on Music Row to tiny little squats with three or four people in there because they're not selling CDs anymore. Yeah. The biggest 
the music industry ever had was selling CDs. They were getting them pressed over in China for 99 cents a piece and selling them to us for $30 a piece. Mm-hmm. They paid the band and they paid some mechanical royalties and some songwriting royalties and they were on. They were just making bank. <laughs> Absolute bank. So. Yeah, we. I had a past guest on that said that when you know you get something up on uh, Spotify, you know you can get a million plays. And you might get enough money to to buy lunch at Wendy's. Exactly. Oh, there's no money in it. I mean, not not at that point. The reason now, and, and I'm not I'm not being down on the music industry. I absolutely love it, and I'm so proud to have been a part of it, and I will continue to be. Yeah. Um, but I mean, these days when you get signed to a label or get signed get a, a, a deal as it were, um, it's called a 360. Okay. And that's because they own 360 degrees of your ass from the minute you sign that contract. So it doesn't matter if somebody from an orange juice company says, we want to make your face the name on our product, then your record label gets a cut on that. They get a cut on every single cent. They are as bad as the IRS. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they get a cut on everything. Was it like that when you signed with the uh, label in Australia in the 80s? No, not at all. No, because iTunes was really may have just started. I mean, 1989, 1990. I don't even think iTunes was around then, to be honest with you. I I don't think it was. I can guarantee you it wasn't. Um, So it was still an actual fact. Our first album, Body Language, they went and pressed a whole bunch of vinyl versions of the record and then they flipped it over and, and produced it all on CD. This is when it came out. CD had just come in and it was going to be the format that everybody wanted. You know? Yeah. So um, that's, you know, there was no iTunes. We were at the beginning of when they were making good money. And I don't know what, I mean, prior to that records, they probably made the same sort of, you know, markup on records. They were making good money. They so, really were. so you kept you kept going after the record deal, obviously, or the you know doing the openings and all that. So in the nineties, did you keep writing, or what were you doing at that time? Well, that's a that's a hiccup in life. Yeah. Um, after Demont, there was a couple of other things that projects I did, you know, um, but I sort of uh, well, I became a father. Yeah. Um, Paige is her name. And um, so, um, I mean, I just became a grandfather. I mean, she's going to have a baby. That's <laughs> well, how long congratulations. <laughs> well, actually, in January, I, I became yeah. a grandfather. I'm um, not too far behind you there, but yeah, I, mine mine hasn't hasn't gotten there yet. So yeah, I, I adopted my daughter. No, I'm only kidding. <laughs> she had a baby really early. I wish. No, she's 28 now. Yeah. Um. um yeah, so, sorry, so what, what I was saying is that um, I totally lost train of where I was going with it after talking about my Just daughter. the 90s, the hiccup? Yeah. And going into the 2000s. Well, you know, I got into a relationship and I did what every insane person does and, you know, it, and it worked out 100% for the best. Again, it was a little bit like that answer I gave Ted Albert about who played on the tape, you know. I, I made that choice and it took me down that path. Sure. So I basically had a hiatus from the music industry. I built a very successful company in Australia. I had you know, like a ton of employees and it was a big agency. My clients were like Coca-Cola and McDonald's. We okay. 
produced a design and produced a lot of work for the 2000. So you guys were like a marketing or ad agency or something like that? Or? Imaging firm. Okay. And we did all the installation. So, you know, the Homebush, the 2000 Olympics, anything that had the name Coca-Cola on it, pretty much we had something to do with, you know. We did a lot of the design. and So it wasn't like I wasn't making money. Right. It wasn't like everybody was upset. But it's like anything in life, you know, if you if you put your mind to something because you want to get it achieved, it tends to take away from anything anything else, you know. Um, and to jump forward without trying to skip over what happened then. But, I mean, I look at – I moved to Nashville nine years ago on the 1st of June this year. Um, and when I first moved here, I invested – I, I didn't jo- I didn't have a day job. I mean, it was just music. Right. And I bought, a, I mean, I bought. Uh, so because of, of your, your past success in Australia and then coming over here, yeah, you, you still, could afford to do I that. Still, you know, one of the most grounding things you can ever do is be a celebrity in one country and fly to another where you're nobody. I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I, I got off the plane and I, seriously, I was nobody. But I had my wife was incredibly intuitive and, and did some fantastic things that built my credibility really, really quickly uh, here to the level that we could. We also spent an incredible amount of money, yeah, um, A&R and all that sort of thing. But this is back when still it was sort of the edge of like worth investing that sort of money. These days I would go a totally different route. I'm sure we'll get to that. Um, and... Um, you know, after three or four years, and I mean, I and I was playing downtown. I had a regular gig at the stage, second fiddle and legends, you know. I was touring. I was going to France twice a year. I was going back to Australia once a year. You know, it wasn't that bad. But, I mean, you're getting older and you start to think to yourself, what's the means to the end? Like, where where am I going with this? Am I starting to be self-indulgent it's not like am i starting to be is this just a continuation of my Mm self-indulgence or should i start thinking about what's gonna what's gonna put my son through college i have a 10 year old son now here as well and he knows nothing but america yeah um he was one when he moved right um so um you know I, i i started to you know look for some some other way to make an income other other than music Never, never lost any of my passion for music. It's the same thing that happened when my daughter was born, and that is where we can only do so much. I admire somebody that can do more. Yeah. You know, sometimes you've got to step away a little bit from what you love because you love others. You care about what's going to happen to them, you know. So I sacrifice my time towards music to make sure that I'm giving enough time to ensure that my wife would be okay if I was to get hit by a bus tomorrow mm-hmm. or my son would be okay if I got hit by a bus tomorrow. So needless to say, I'm not going to get hit by a bus. I'm loving my life. I love living in Nashville and I love the music industry. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, so backing up to that 2011, when you came here, why Nashville? What was your thoughts at that time? Where, you know, where was your head on all that? I don't think my head was on because um, <laughs> I was doing just fine in Australia. Well, yeah. you know, I met my, I met my wife towards um, 
I don't know what the year was. Anyway, I was in a previous relationship, obviously, and that had come had come to an end, and and I really was just drowning in my business at that point because it was just all I was doing. And this lady knocked on my door, and and it happens to now she's now my wife. Uh, there's a long story in that as well, but this podcast can't go for two days. Um, so. Um, when I when I met her, uh, she inspired me to do music again, and um, I started writing again. And it was crazy because I probably hadn't picked a guitar up in four or five years. Sure, I'd really written off music at that point, which I kind of kicked myself about. But anyway, um, she got me into music again. She basically uh, entered me into a uh, music competition, a country music competition. Um, and she bought seven return tickets to Rockhampton, which is where the competition was, and said, you better get your ass into gear because you're in a competition in three weeks. <laughs> so I had to go out, get a band together, rehearse the band with the songs that I'd written, and we went to Rockhampton. It was uh, the Australian country music, uh, like, I forget what it is. It was the biggest country music competition they had had there at that point. And it was a huge, huge first prize. And this is still uh, before you came to the States. So this is oh, 2000 yeah, yeah. sometime. Yeah. 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 And, um, and we won the competition. <laughs> so that launched the country music industry, like a country music career for me in Australia. All of a sudden I had all of these shows booked. They were paying me thousands of dollars to go and do shows. Um, we we were we went to Tamworth, which is the big country music festival in Australia. I am alluding to what made me come here. Um, and um, we'd go to Tamworth, and our first year there it was a seven-piece band. Uh, we went in there and we cleaned up every single band competition at that country music festival. We took first place in pretty much nine out of ten of them. Hmm. Um, and so that launched that. And so I was pretty ingrained. A lot of people were pissed about it, but I was pretty ingrained in the country music industry. And the reason they were pissed is because my father was Lucky Star. They yeah. feel like I've got a leg up. I was a rock singer in a rock band opening for Motley Crue, take a hiatus, and all of a sudden he's back and he's singing country, and a lot of people took offense to it. Huh. Okay? Anyway, so I flew to Seattle to ask her parents. Kind of like Dar- Darius Rucker. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I flew to Seattle, which is where my wife is from, She'd lived in Australia 12 years. She has dual citizenship um, and uh, asked her dad if I could marry her. And he said, sure, but we'd really like it if you could move to America because she'd lived in Australia for 12 years and we'd like her to be closer to home, even if it's just for a while. So at that time, being as full of myself as I was, I figured, well, I'm pretty well ingrained in country music in Australia. Maybe I can just re-transplant myself in Nashville. Yeah. Um, and we'd already been to Nashville a couple of years in a row for CMA. I'd performed at CMA Fest. I did the big uh, international concerts, you know, down at stage and mm-hmm. uh, close up the CMA. I was a full member with the CMA as well. So anyway, pushed the shove, thought, yeah, we can do the transplant. I don't need to be famous, but it'd be nice if we can just come here and I can just live off music and we can raise our family. And um, here we are. <laughs> here we are so so when you came over did you abandon anything there that you know you get over here and it's it's just kind of a little different story 
Oh, or, yeah, I know I get two DNM on it. Yeah, I abandoned my whole family. Yeah. To a certain extent, and and it is hard, and I don't think people really take that into consideration. I mean, people moved to Nashville before before Corona, anyway. You know, there was a hundred people a day coming in through, um, yep. coming here for music careers into Nashville every day, um, and but they were coming from Arkansas or California or Seattle or whatever. It's a, you know at worst it's a three and a half hour flight. I came from Australia. It's thirteen hours from Kingsford Smith to LAX. Mm-hmm. Then it's another four, almost five hours mm-hmm. to Nashville. It's a bloody long way. And I left my dad, my mum, my grandmother, my auntie, my daughter, my son, uh, friends. I, I left them all there. Now, my mindset when I did that was that it's going to be okay because I'm going to make it in America and we'll be able to transit right. between countries. But the reality is financially you don't make it to be able to do that, or I certainly didn't. Some people have. Keith Urban has. Yeah. Uh, Morgan Evans has or will. Um so I don't really have that opportunity to do that transit. I've got good friends. I say good friends. I use that term loosely. But I've got friends here. Travis uh, List is another good friend. Um, he moved here for the same reason. And, you know, he's not exactly pursuing his career and he can't travel the way that he wanted to. You know, it's it's the chance we take. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um my my biggest fear is if something would happen to one of my family members. Um, like my grandmother died at the beginning of last year um, and uh, she was probably one of my closest family members. Um, I got there before she died, but I got there and she was in basically in hospice. Yeah. So I got to see her. She was, she was coherent, but only just, you know, before she passed. That's tough. Um that's bad. But honestly, uh, you know, I wake up every morning, I check my phone, and my, my biggest fear is I'm going to have a text message on there that something's happened to my father or something like that every morning, yeah. 365 days a year. The first thing I do is check my phone to make sure that I, I don't have any bad news from my family in Australia. Right. And, and they're on the other side of the world. I mean, literally. And 24 hours. If I decided yeah. right now that I wanted to be. In Australia, it's going to take me a minimum of 24 hours. I could probably get a flight this afternoon to LA and and maybe get the last flight out uh, to Australia or I'd have to sleep in LA and get the first flight out the next one. Yeah. Because they're going to leave at a certain time so they land within the – because Kingsford Smith Airport in Sydney is not open 24 hours. The airport doesn't open until 6.30 a.m. Okay. So it's got to land between 6.30 a.m. and midnight. So. Well, and not not to move away from that, but I think coming back to this, you're you're over here. Yep. You you have success. You're opening for, you know, I'm looking at this here. Um, big and rich. Um, took my glasses off, so I'm having a hard time looking. But mm-hmm. um, at least what it says here: big and rich, band Perry, Rascal Flats, folks like that. And yeah, I mean, so what happens at that point? Is that the first couple of years that you're here? 
No, I wish. No, in actual fact, when I was opening for Rascal Flats being rich because I went back to Australia. Okay. Oh, we just got cut off. Wait, I, I can still see you. You there? Can you? Yeah. Yeah, I can't see you. It's just got a Zoom screen up in front of me. Huh. No, oh, I can okay. see you. We're good. That's all right. I don't need to see you. Um, I don't need to see you. <laughs> <laughs> um, what was I going to say? Uh, yeah, there was a. We had to, some huge country music festivals in in Australia. Uh, CMC rocks the harder and rocks uh, um, uh, North Queensland and stuff like that. Anyway, I went back on a a very large uh, uh, tour back there, and there was Dan Perry, Big and Rich, Rascal Flats um, were all on that tour. And that's where I got to um, to catch up with those guys and 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 do that tour with them, which was a lot of fun. Don't you don't you feel like you know? Hey, you've got this opportunity with these guys. You know, they're going to give me. They're going to pull me up. They're going to help me out. No. Um, and it's nothing personal against them, yeah. but I mean, uh, you know, they've got so much going on in in, in what on their three sixty deal. On there, well, yeah, <laughs> well, they're lucky. A lot of them were in a lot earlier, and they don't—they're not signed to any deal like that. But I mean, you will notice people like you know Tim McGraw left. Um, what's his name? Um, he was signed to Curb. Yep. And, uh, as soon as his contract was up, he got out, and then he did a bit of a deal, distribution deal with Big Machine. And I don't know what Tim McGraw is doing now, but I mean, you know, they—they they get out of these deals as soon as they can. But if you're a young kid and you sign into a record deal with Warners or any of them now, um, you know, I hope it's a good deal. Well, I mean, it's it's all there is, right? What are you going to do? Well, that, that's what I was alluding to before. Um, what do you do? Well, I'll tell you what I do right now, and that is I've become really good. I write really good songs promoting them through things like YouTube. Yeah. Um, because there's a huge underground uh, movement for music, uh, you know, uh, and uh, just a natural sort of like forming of fans. You know, there's a, there's a couple of ways you can do it. You can do it where you are uh, signed to a label and they're going to invest $1.6 million into your first single. It will go number one because all of the program directors at all of the major billboard radio stations have now all got new tyres on their trucks and tickets to the latest Kerry Wood Underwood. Carrie Underwood concert, that's how they get to be number one. doesn't matter what the song is to a certain extent yeah. because the label have endorsed it. Right. They've, or, got, they've put their money behind it and they've pushed it. Totally. 100%. Or you can do it the real way, which is where you write good music and you get it out there. And by word of mouth, people love listening to your music. And all of a sudden, they you start to build a following. And yeah. that's following naturally grows because you're producing something that people can connect with. I just brought up your YouTube channel. All right. I mean, you got, you know, speaking of this and the underground movement and connecting with people. And that's why we had that. (laughs) We had your song, just another sundown just started playing. Um, I mean, you've got a wonderful following there. Yeah, this this good, you know. I mean, and I mean, I diversify uh, with, with with my music. The last two things that I, I put out there, um, 
uh, a Christian, um, uh, which would be uh, Christmas Ears, which I released a couple of years ago at Christmas time. And then I just released last Easter a thing called Three Trees. Yeah, I saw that one. Yeah. That was pretty cool. Um, you know, um, so... Yeah, I mean, yes, there's a good following there. It takes a while to build up those spins. Normally, if you release something and it, and it goes well, you'll you'll get a lot of that at the at the very beginning uh, when you first release it because everybody's excited about it and people are, people are playing it. Um, but yeah, there there are, and there are other artists out there that just just have insane followings, you know. And that's that's what I that's what I would like to work towards if if I take the time to do something like that again that's what i'll be aiming towards yeah is releasing more music through youtube uh, monetize the station if you really want to make a couple of dollars out of it um but really for me it's just about getting my music out there i mean i can i've put singles to radio here i had a top 40 on music row here with phone call which is on there uh it's only a lyric video um but you know they uh it costs a fortune, man. Like I'm, I'm a small fortune, right? And there's a lot of young people out there, and luckily their parents have got um, so like accounts for them, these trust accounts, things like that, that enable them to be able to do it. And it's kudos to them. I wish, I wish I had the same thing because you know it does give them that opportunity and possibly make it. But I can't help but feel it, you know. I like to feel like I'm the kid out of Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. <laughs> yeah. Well, so when you got here in 2011, you know, yeah. up to now, what's you know, what was your perception, and then you know, what's been your experience, and you know, what's your takeaway? Well, I mean, Nashville's forever evolving. When I first moved here, Nashville was the and still is the most exciting music city on the face of the earth. It really is. I agree. It's, where, it's you know, it's where you come to make make dreams come true. Uh, it's also Nashville is really good at teaching you that nothing is easy, and it really is a big business, and you've really got to have your wits about you, and you've really you know, uh, you've really got to want to succeed. Yeah. Um. It still is that way. I think it's it's got a little bit more commercial these days. And I've only been here 10 years. I don't know what it must be like for some of these people that have been for 20, 30 years or just grown up here. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still absolutely love it. I love the the feeling of creativity. That's It's almost like, you know, this many people wanting to write and, and, and be somebody, this many creative minds in one town. Um, I think it almost creates like a an aura over the whole the whole city that you, you can sort of feel, which I love. Um, I don't, I don't think people understand <laughs> until you live here and you're actually involved yeah. what, what it is like, because it's like, you know, just you and I met um, when you were at another company and I was at another company and you were working yeah. and I was working. And, mm-hmm. and I remember you said at that time, Hey, uh, you know, you did some music and, you know, I didn't think much about it at the time. And, you know, mm-hmm. here we are, we've come, I'm going to say that was probably, uh, it's probably five years ago. Yeah. Four or five years ago. Easy. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. But, yeah. but you know, it just, 
I sold a chair to a uh, uh, what is it uh, Lee Lee Bryce's brother, all right, uh, Lewis yeah. Lewis Bryce, and yeah. you know he said yeah I need a chair to to write in and sing in and I'm like oh yeah you do that and he says yeah and I'm like well I got this podcast and. So what's your name? And I write it down, and I don't think much about it. And he opens up at the listening room a couple of weeks ago, so we went and watched and mm-hmm. and figure out that he's Lee Bryce's brother. And I'm like, okay, you know, may yeah. you know, he may have the machine behind him enough where he can't do my podcast. And that and that's the other thing. This podcast is about independent music for independent listeners who are yeah. not controlled by the machine. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there is that machine aspect of nashville and that's the other thing so what do you think about that and how does that affected you or anything else um it kind of when i first met moved here it affected me that it was sort of it was a it it was almost an untouchable you know i just because um people are groomed to go go into to go into that sort of that that top area. I mean, when you look at it, I mean, you have new acts come and new acts go. Very few break through into that top ten, top fifteen artists within the country music industry. You know, I mean, you're still looking at the same ones right now that I was ten years ago. Yeah. Sure, Florida Georgia Line came along. Uh, Darius Rucker broke with Wagon Wheel while I was here. Um, and you know, there's been your Cole Swindells and, and and all of those, but really none of them have got to that top shelf. Florida Georgia Line, yes, they have by default, but the others, I don't really see them. You know, I mean, I know another young lady, Ashley McBride. I mean, she's one of those brilliant songwriters, and I mean, she's been busting her butt here for ten years. Mm-hmm. You know. And she's only just now. I think she got the you know a new artist or encouragement artist of the year at the CMAs last year. You know, but uh, I have to be honest. I also think that the, this COVID thing has just hit the skids for everybody in this town. Like, there's not a heck of a lot of new singles or anything coming out because. I just don't think anybody wants to, you know, invest that money in putting something out there that they can't tour on and make money back on. Okay. Because that's where the money's made. Yeah. Ticket sales and merchandise. You don't make them on, on, on the sale of the song. You get that for nothing, you know? It's interesting because, yeah, I've heard that time and time again starting to do this podcast from, you know, artists and saying, yeah, this is, this is how it is. Yeah, I, I don't know what the figure. Somebody t- told me some insane amount of money. They're like Kenny Chesney and Toby Keith and 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 those sort of artists. The amount of money they make on merchandise is just insane. Hmm. It's just insane. You know, plus they got the ticket sales. But I mean, that's all been cut off from all of these big artists. You know, they're not making any money this year. They can't tour. So some of them can sit back and relax, but a lot of them would be going, you know, uh, I've, got to, I've got to pay my mortgage. Yeah. <laughs> and, I'm, and the artists themselves, maybe they'll be okay. They can, they can be looked after. What about, like, I've got friends that play for these big artists. Uh, an old friend of mine, I haven't spoken to for ages, but he was, he was a piano player for Tim McGraw. Well, Tim's not doing any, any shows. 
Yeah, those guys are only able to make money if they're playing. Yeah, it's, it's show pay. You know, I mean, yeah. some of them are on retainers, but I guarantee you when this COVID come in, I'm sure there was some clause that these big acts would just go, look, I'm sorry, but I can't pay you a monthly wage to, you know, I don't know how long this is going to last or if it's ever going to get better. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's, uh, it's, it's scary for a lot of people. I really feel for them. You know? What do you think? Um, when's the last time that you played live? Last time I played live, um, well, the last time I was meant to play live yeah. was I flew back to Australia um, the beginning of March. I had a sold-out concert, um, which was my first show back in Australia in two years, so it didn't take long to sell out. And um, two days before the concert, um, I had to uh, cancel it and refund all the tickets and come home. <laughs> so, yeah, that was a fruitful trip, huh? Uh, well, you know, it was a bit of a mess. Anyway, I mean, that was my last time I was meant to do a, a, a big show. And that, and that um, was all around the COVID then? Yeah, it was just, just, honestly, the reason I had to cancel the concert was because it wasn't in Australia. COVID really wasn't that big in Australia. Right. But they were talking about shutting the borders down here in America. Right. And my wife was on the phone saying, you better get on a plane now because yeah. they ain't going to let you back in. Yeah. So um, I canceled my ticket and booked another ticket for the next day and flew out. Wow. I, I was ended up, I it was there for three days. It's a long way to go for three days, I can tell you. I bet you were pretty hungover when you got home. <laughs> yeah, jet lagged. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. Um. So songwriting. So I'm I'm guessing and I'm looking at, you know, the three trees and some of this stuff that I've seen. So obviously you are you are spending more time and have in the last couple of years on the songwriting side of things. Are there yeah. folks that you get together with? Do you have writers that you? work with or you know you're doing it by yourself how does that work no i write with other with, with other people I, I work well with other people i have a few people that i love to write with and then i'm i take the odd sort of write with people i don't know from a bar or so i, I find them interesting um because sometimes you just don't know the person so sometimes when you've never met the person before you'll spend the first four hour songwriting session just talking about nothing just mm-hmm. getting to know the person, say, okay, well, next time we get together, let's write a song. You know? Yeah. Um, uh, and yeah, I love I love writing. I love producing uh, Three Trees and a, a lot of the stuff that you hear on my YouTube channel. I produced it all, co-produced it all. Um, so uh, you know, but there's a, a couple of writers. Uh, DJ Gleason is one. I wrote Phone Call and a couple of other songs with. Um, Sarah Beth Terry, who's just a phenomenal writer. I, I, I can't speak highly enough of her. She's, like, so prolific it's not funny. Um, and she's just so much fun to be around. Uh, I've written some amazing songs with her. Um, uh, Steve Dorian, another song, wrote a couple of songs with him. Uh, you know, I re- used to write a lot with my wife, in fact, so do you guys just sit down and say, okay, we're going to write a song? Is that, that's the intent. And then we're going to yeah, come out of here in a couple it, hours. I mean, we're it gonna... depends on who I'm writing with, you know? I yeah. mean, uh, with, with DJ and with Sarah Beth, really, uh, it's so hard to coordinate writing times with people these days because right. everybody's so busy writing with people. Is um, 
especially because everybody had such a hiatus with the COVID thing, um, is uh, uh, like I'd say the 29th of this month I've got to write with Sarah Beth. So round about the 20th I'll start going through my list. You know, as a songwriter, and I don't profess to be a good one, but as, as a songwriter as I am, if I ever hear somebody say something or if I uh, see something on television or I just it comes to my own mind, something that I think is kind of trick, be a good hook, mm-hmm. something good to write about, it's in my phone. I have hundreds of ideas for songs in my phone. So when it's coming up to do a write with somebody, I will start to go through that list and look for something that I really want to uh, – you know, write about. It may be that it's passionate to me at that point in time, you know. Um, or I may go and with Sarah I'll sit down and have two or three different things and then, you know, we'll start talking about that and that'll lead to something else and all of a sudden we're writing about that. Yeah. You know? uh, the last time I wrote with Sarah Beth, I wrote a song which I believe is not on my YouTube channel. Um, it's called The Girl I Knew and I wrote it for my daughter for her wedding. Very so, nice. Yeah, and it was a, it's a beautiful song. I plan on releasing it, actually. Um, it's just, you know, this year with the way everything's gone, it's just been, you know, let's just reset. Let's just get past. Let's get to 2021. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> this year is an absolute write-off, you know. So, yeah, I, think, uh, yeah, I think we're all looking at it that way. It's yeah. uh, interesting times. Don't get me wrong. I'm incredibly incredibly grateful for all of the wonderful things that have happened for me this year. But, you know, if you ever had to be in a position where you made plans for a period of time and it got screwed up, 2020 has got to be it, right? (laughs) This, this would be the year. We're like, just let this one go pretty much. Well, we're, we're kind of at that point where we're talking about a song. Um, It looked like Mm -hmm. you came prepared to play one. Um, I'd like to see if you'd, you do one for us and uh, which one it is and maybe some inf- some story behind it. Um, like I said, I had to get up super early this morning to get the tire out of the case because it's been a while. Get it tuned um, up? Oh, I did that. Yeah. Um, I'm going to try and do a song that I wrote with Sarah Beth. It's, you know, were you a slow one or a fast one? That would be my first question. Whatever, whatever you want, whatever the, you feel like is the best one that, you know, you want to do. Now, before we started this podcast, I was going to get you to check these levels. So, um, you, yeah. You well, I can, I can look at it right here. Go ahead and give me some. So it would be like a caught up in my own universe. Times missing. Times it's cursed. My good days are filled with words. How's that? Good. No, nope, I think yeah, we got yeah. good levels right there. Excellent. Okay. Well, this song I wrote with Sarah Beth, and um, I wrote it. Uh, it's actually it's a bit about the music industry and and. Um, it was um, how do you put this? When Sarah Beth and I sat down, we were talking about how self-indulgent you become 
as as a want to be entertainer, musician, songwriter, whatever, all of the above. And how you tend to forget about the other people that care about you and how what you're doing may be affecting their lives. And um, and uh, and at the same time, for me, when we were writing the song, it became about my wife uh, is a personal trainer and um, does insane hours as well. So really it was uh, the song is about um, it's about how we always seem both to be so busy all the time, but at the end of it all, um, there's a few things of her that she does for me, or there's something that she has that means the world to me. And it's called Your Voice. So it goes like this. Caught up in my own universe. Sometimes it's blessing, most times it's a curse. My good days I can go back to words. I get lost in the rush, noise in the crowd. She comes more than my time allowed. What I really need you here right now. Kiss your arms on my favorite place. It's on my favorite taste. Heart is my saving grace when I need to be found. Your voice is my favorite sound. Your world's far more crazy than mine. Everybody you want to time Let me I feel like I'm back in the line Baby, when can I see you? When are you free? Both got a thousand different places to be Pencil in the night Just you and me Kiss your arms on my favorite place Lips on my favorite taste Your heart is my saving grace When I need to be found Your voice is my favorite sound. If I close my eyes, will you whisper in my ear? It's all. 
Cause your arms are my favorite place Lips are my favorite taste Your heart is my saving grace When I need to be found Chivalrous is my favorite sound Is my favorite sound. Nice. I like it. I'm, I'm going to have to steal that. Uh, tell my wife that I wrote it. Next time I get in the doghouse, I'm going to go play that for her. And, you know, maybe I can sure, get out of the doghouse. No Be my guest. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> well, what what's... Uh, and what's the future looking like at this point for you in the music business? And what are you seeing in Nashville? Hopefully, as we go through this COVID time and, you know, where's it going? Um, Where's it going? Well, like this year, basically, man, we're just all hanging on to what we got. Um, uh, trying to do the right thing and, and trying to make sense of all of the, the bullshit that's going on. Um, because God knows we're getting a fair share of it right now. Um. I'm looking forward to a new start next year. I'm looking forward to just, um, you know, again, not political, but just get past this bloody election. So yeah, I uh, think, I think there's, that's just multiplying everything else that's going on in the world here, making it worse. So, um, you know, I'll be happy to, to get, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to Christmas and being grateful Yeah, and, um, for everything that we've got and, and, and having made it that far, if I have, (laughs) <laughs> yeah what uh one of the questions i did want to ask is you know since you've been in nashville what's your favorite venue to play at oh wow well it just depends i mean you know i've played some fantastic gigs i mean i've, I've done you know I've, I've played main stage at the big houston festival uh back in 2000 Seventeen or something. I was actually awarded Entertainer of the Year down there for that. That was that was an amazing concert. Uh, but that was an outdoor, you know, festive kind of thing. I used to love playing the stage and the second fiddle and legends as well because I, I love a crowd. You know, the, the one thing that we all just tend to forget about sometimes is what what made us want to be. For me, what made me want to be an entertainer, mm-hmm. a singer. Uh, and it's because we're all we're all to a certain extent, be it that we wrote it or not, storytellers. And 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 for me, the most amazing and rewarding thing is to be able to invoke an emotion in somebody else, and to be able to stand on stage and make somebody smile, or make somebody cry, or have somebody just sing the words to a song that I'm singing because they believe it. That's the most rewarding thing there is. Mm-hmm. No, and, and I agree. I think a musician's a real musician has done their job when they connect with the audience in terms of. And I think a lot of people that don't go to events like we're talking about, where you've got an independent musician playing, they they don't appreciate mm-hmm. it because they're used to going to arenas with big big names, lots of people. 
but yet a musician is done what they're supposed to do when you go to an event and you see them and you leave there and you've got this, you got a different feeling. You leave with a feeling. Yep. Totally. 100%. Yeah. Who, Um, uh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say that's um, something that my father instilled in me and it's something that I've I've always believed in. Um, I've sung to a, a, I've, man, I've done shows. I've performed to 27,000 people in one show. Uh, would probably be one of the biggest audience, 27,000, 30,000. Um, and then I've sung to a room of six people. And um, to me, the, the size of the crowd is fun, but I, 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 love, um, I love the opportunity to connect with, the, with those people that want to be connected to, you know, down the front. And I hate to sound all poetic and deep and meaningful, but really – that the reward that you get from that, that, that gratification is just, you just can't, it's, it's a drug, you know, mm-hmm. when people say, Oh, I got bit by the stage, you know, this stage bug or whatever. I totally get it. There's an, there is a, there's an, an adrenaline factor. And then there is just this, uh, uh, some other endorphin that goes through your, your body when, when, when that's happening for you that I, I can't explain what it is, but I, I know it's, it's incredibly addictive. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, so it, so once things do go back to a live venue, will we be able to see you live anywhere in Nashville? Um, look, I certainly hope so. Um, I plan on making it a major part of my agenda. Nashville's the hardest town in, in the all of America to get a gig at. You know that. <laughs> well, yeah, you, you've got 10 people not, waiting in line to fill your spot. It's the hardest town to get a gig in, and then it's all this, the, the, the very hardest town in the whole of America to actually get an audience at. So, yeah. um, you know, uh, yes, I will do shows. Uh, you know, the best place to catch me right now, um, I do quite regularly up until COVID, is, is uh, songwriter rounds. Um, you know, I'll do uh, Unfortunately, Douglas Corner's gone now, which is yeah. so sad. Um, That's what I heard. Um, but, you know, I used to, uh, prior to COVID, I'd be doing a Listening Room or Commodore Grill, um, you know, a number of different song- songwriter round places. I'll go and I'll perform at those. Uh, as far as full band, it's a mission um, to do that, to get a band together, make sure we've all got the same song in our head and know when to start and stop. And it's got to be something pretty serious for that. Mm-hmm. But who knows? Because I've actually, there's another song I, I can't play it now because it's not finished, but I've just sort of finished writing it with DJ. And it's one of the best songs I've ever written. Um, and I'm going to go in and record that uh between now and the beginning of next year. I know it seems like, oh, God, that's still half a year away. But, you know, um, it deserves that time and, and I need the industry to be in, in a healthier position to to be able to listen to what I've got to say in this song. Mm-hmm. So keep your eyes and ears peeled is what I like to say. Okay. <laughs> and, and, and we can find information on you at Craig, is it Craig it's craigmorrisonmusic.com. That website actually has been up for a while. I'm, I'm actually just having it rebuilt now. I just haven't relaunched it. Um, and it was meant to be up, you know, a couple of months ago. But with COVID thing again, it's sort of like been put on the back burner a little bit. But definitely stay in contact, you know, craigmorrisonmusic.com, uh, the Facebook. 
Um, so it's facebook.com forward slash Craig Morrison Music. Then there's uh, Instagram, Craig Morrison Music. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what else is there? There's the website, craigmorrisonmusic.com. You have I'm a uh, Twitter, a tweeter? I do, but you know, <laughs> I'd be lying if I said I go on that a lot. I, really yeah. do. I don't really do it a lot, but again, it's just Craig Morrison Music. I yeah. think I papped the name. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, I made a mistake when I sent the email out, and I think I sent it to just craigmorrison.com. Oh, don't worry. The guy hates me. He's yeah. in Canada. Yeah, I know. He was like, <laughs> I'm not that guy. <laughs> but uh, Oh, yeah. God. You know, the funny thing is he can't be that good because I never got one of his emails. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, no, and, and one of the things before we go, a couple of things. Like you mentioned, so you played the the listening room, the Commodore – uh, second fiddle um is the second fiddle is that what i'm thinking the what sorry uh the second fiddle second fiddle that's just the honk tonk down on broadway yeah and then there's yeah. like the stage and legends so so there's a difference and and here's the thing and i think that our audience some of our audience will understand this but but you get it because you've played them and you play the second fiddle or legends that's yeah. like kind of more of a raucous you know, crowd. Oh yeah, I did the Tendle too as well. So you know, that's four hours straight. That's seventy-four songs back to back. It's geez. loud. It's full of bachelorettes. It's covers. All covers. Yeah. And sometimes I do an original, and I just don't tell anybody. Right. But then you frown on originals. Yeah. Ooh, can you hold on one second, yeah, buddy? Nope, no problem. Nicole. Okay. Like, so it's just my wife. Yep. She needs some almond milk. <laughs> well, I know how that goes. We're we're <laughs> wrapping up, but uh but yeah, the so legends, you know, these events they're raucous, people are drinking heavily. Um, but then you go to the listening room or the Commodore and it's a completely different experience. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, totally different. It's really one's, about the one, music. One's, one's just a cover, throw them down as hard and fast as you can. Um and keep people, you know, hollering and swallowing. And the other is where you want everybody to be quiet and to take a good, long, hard listen to the lyrical content of what you're singing to them because you, you poured your heart out into, into writing the thing, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, two totally different uh, scenarios, of which I'll take either. Um, but, if you know, in all honesty, I mean, for me, I get my kicks out of singing um, – my my songs you mm-hmm. know what i mean yeah well those are the ones that you know touch people they make exactly. that difference yep totally well you know at this point you know if you were to go back 20 years yep what advice would you give someone what would what advice would you give you 20 years ago you know wanting to be in the music business or entertainment business um That's a tough question because I could be really hard hard on myself yeah. <laughs> or I could be, you know, um, you know, I think I did everything as, as good as I, as, as I need needed to. Uh, there are some things I've, I've slightly changed. You know, my, um, okay. So was there anything I would change back to this? Or advice. Um, yeah. Advice you would give to yourself 20 years ago or, you know, back in the day. Um, if I had any advice to myself, um, you know, I don't like to think that I ever did anything wrong, Tony. 
Right. We we all like to think we we don't have any regrets or regrets yeah. or whatever you want to call it. No, I think I would probably be a, a little more focused and, and, and I would be a little bit more self-confident. You know, the, one of the biggest problems you have as an artist, and I'm, again, I don't want to get too D&M about it, um, or my, one of my biggest problems is, uh, is a, a lack of confidence in, in, in what I do. Mm-hmm. That sounds insane coming from me, worked in front of so many people and the things that I've achieved in my life. Sure. You, you will find that a, a lot of people that are, uh, you know, artistic, you know, songwriters, entertainers and things of that nature, sometimes it's our way of, of dealing with a lack of um, self-confidence is by confronting it and putting yourself out there. Now, that by doing that doesn't mean that you've solved the problem. It just means that you're fighting it. Does that make any sense? Yeah. So so for me, if I could go back and change things, I would like to be a little something on my shoulder saying, you've got this. You need to be more self-confident. Don't, don't doubt point. yourself. Yeah, exactly. That's what, you know, it, it, it goes a long way to just have self-confidence. Sometimes self-confidence can win over, over so many other things it really can you know you may not be the best singer in the room but your self-confidence will give the people the opportunity to make that decision for themselves and and you will come across as the best singer in the room if you believe you are you know yeah, tough question. It's something that I, you know, I I I deal with that sort of thing all the time. Uh, it have, would if I had to say what would be my major setback and something that I could change and would would advise to anybody, it would be to to believe in yourself and don't let anybody else tell you otherwise, because nobody knows you better than you. And as long as you're being true to yourself, then I honestly believe you can't give anybody better than that. Good words. I think uh, we all need that. So Mm. appreciate it. It's, uh, it's been fun. Um, yeah, I think we, we got some good stuff here and, you know, to our audience, go check out Craig Morrison. Seriously. Craig Morrison, music.com, uh, the YouTube channel. Uh, this will be in the show notes and I'll actually record a good five minute intro, uh, for, you as well and just kind of give a little bit more insight from this and uh go from there but is there anything i missed or anything you want to throw out there no man look no i just want to say thank you very much and 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 uh and uh you're doing a a a wonderful service to the independent industry within nashville so kudos to you my friend thanks that's the goal here it's helping out independent musicians because i believe that what i believe in what you do and i think more people need to be aware of it so keep doing it keep that self-confidence and uh you and i'll be crossing paths again pretty soon so i'm sure buddy
There were three trees upon a hill, and they spoke to the whispering breeze. They made three wishes upon the hill, and the wishes they made were these: the first tree wished he could be a fine bed. Fit for a king to lie on, he said. The second a galleon wanted to be to carry a king way over the sea. I am what I am, and I be what I be. That's how it is. So said the third tree. I have only one wish that I would wish on, and that's to be remembered long after I'm gone. Came by, he fell the first tree. Oh, now fine royal bed I will be. But was it in scorn or was it in anger? He found himself fashioned into a manger. Groaned as he fell to the ground. Oh, now a galleon, soon I'll be bound. But was it a miracle he turned out to be? A boat for a fisherman on Galilee. Galilee.